All righty. Welcome in and welcome back. This is Polar FC on the Polar Media uh, site, I guess. Twitch, maybe. Uh, we're like sponsored, but like kind of. It's like semi-official. It's it's no problem. But you've tuned in. You've made it to the right spot. We're here. We're here to bring you the latest news in soccer, bring you some reactions, give you some fan takes. I'm here with uh, my crew. We got Chris. We got KR. We got Vandy. Everybody is in the office today. We're ready for a great show. We got packed schedule as always. First, I'll toss it over to Chris. Give us a little social media plug. All right. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Polar FC Pod. Um, going to be uh, giving you um, info on when the latest episode's coming up and uh, highlights and all that other stuff that I'm going to uh, start putting up there. So uh, Polar FC Pod is where you want to find us on Twitter. All right. Thanks, Chris. And without further ado, I know Vandy is just he's just waiting. He's chomping at the bit to get in here to say his two cents. So I'll, I'll just throw it right over to Vandy. Give us the rundown. We're talking Champions League final. I I was going to clap, but I don't know if that's going to go too loud in these podcast, podcast listeners' ears. But, man, what can I say? I'm on like a, like a seven-day high now. Like it's, it's been crazy these last couple of days. I think people are getting annoyed with my Instagram posts, but I won't stop. Like the, the, You don't understand how far this club has come ever since – Eden Hazard left for Real Madrid. People thought we were buried. Um, we were we were in like seventh or eighth in the Premier League at one point, and we were just trying to stay afloat. And we just managed to to Lampard. He started off well, and then the defense fell back, and then we got two shell, and then we not allowing goals. And I just I I was looking at myself because I I'm into sports betting a little bit, and I was like, there's no way Chelsea is plus one seventy to to win this game. We beat Man City two times in the last six weeks, I believe it was, before the game. And they still had us that far behind. And I was just like, wow, what a game, what a goal. Man City massively underperformed. Um, my takeaways before I get into to, to who shined bright for Chelsea, I'll say Man City's downfall was, was, was the coaching. I think that not going for an Andino, which you've been doing with all season, which is set a defensive mid, or Rodri even, was a big error. Um, I know. I know that uh, maybe he wanted to be a little bit more attack minded, but in the end, they didn't have a shot on goal for the entire game. And I don't even. I wouldn't even consider that. Uh, that half volley. Um, was it Foden at the end of the game, or I forgot who had that? Uh, no, no, it was it was uh, Riyad Mahrez. He had that half volley at the end of the game, and I was just like, "Yeah, it's not going in." Like. Um, Mendy was out of range to save it, but there was no way that was going in. And it's just like they massively underperformed. So many expectations. You got to feel bad for De Bruyne coming off with that injury um, just at the start of the second half. And it's just like even with everything that Man City was going through, even Aguero, who needs his storybook ending, you got to give credit to Chelsea. They fought hard. We have so many young players. The future is bright. This is a club that can literally have three people score 10 goals. We probably won't have anybody hit 20 next season, but that there's there's no you can't double team anybody on our attack because it's just so solid and so good um and for our players my hat goes off to um our our our, our defense our defense in this one Conte you know Angelo Angelo he was everywhere it's like it's two of him it's like it's like it's 12 guys on the pitch 
Uh, man, it was fantastic. I really loved the way Reese James played. He marked the hell out of uh, Sterling, followed him all around the, the pitch. And it's just, man, I'm just so elated to see us get to this point. Because when you win, people don't realize when you win the Champions League, it's not just winning the Champions League, it's so much money involved. So, um, for instance, this is not even the same scale, but I don't know if you guys remember when Leicester won. Leicester was like flirting with the relegation zone the year before and they won the Prem League. Do you, know, do you know how much money that they got from that? And they're still building their franchise off of that money. So, Chelsea is going to skyrocket. Like, the money we got from 2012 with the Drogba era and all those other guys, we use that to, to progress and, and, and stay relevant and uh, keep the hazard satisfied for the next decade. So this money is going to propel us until 2030. Um, not that we were going anywhere to begin with, but man, Chelsea is going to become a juggernaut. People better look out. Um, people were saying that, oh, you only had to play Porto and you played a Real Madrid team that was weren't in their best form, but winning the Champions League is winning the Champions League. We're the champions of Europe, and nothing can take that from us. And I'll be saying that for the next month. So, uh, hope, hope, hopefully, you guys don't get too bored of it. Vandy, you're crushing it. You're on an all-time high. Chris, maybe, maybe a different, a different. Yeah, feeling I forgot from what you were saying two weeks ago. I can't really remember what you were saying. <laughs> I like look, look, I like Vandy as a person. He's a friend. <laughs> So I'm not going to direct my frustrations towards him. He is happy that his team has won and rightfully so. What is your frustration? My frustration is with uh, Manchester City's attack. Uh, when you have, you know, all the talent that Manchester City has really all over the field, but in the midfield and in the attack. And, you know, just to put the cherry on the top, it's Sergio Aguero's last game. Sergio Aguero, the man who almost single-handedly won you your first Premier League title uh, back in 2012. Um, you know, you want to go off on the right foot or at the very least, you know, obviously, you know, there's no, no way, even if you play your best, you're going to win a champions league final because, um, you know, champions league finals are like arguably the most difficult game to win in, in all of football. Um, and I'm including the world cup final on that. But, um, my frustration is with the fact that Manchester city on the attacking side of the field looked almost out of ideas. And when they were able to get some opportunities together, the finishing was lackluster. Um, I think their expected goals were like at 0.5, which given City's talent is kind of abysmal. Um, and, you know, just and, and, and also as if as if, you know, the result wasn't miserable enough for me, I had to listen to it on Sirius XM uh, while driving through I-95 in South Carolina, um, which is a miserable experience in and of itself. South Carolina, not XM. XM's great. Uh, but um, <laughs> but having to sit through that for two hours, just City just going long stretches without doing anything with the ball. It was just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And um, as someone who uh, generally likes Pep Guardiola, uh, likes what he's done uh, with this team, uh, likes him as a coach, you know, not really impressed with what he brought to the table last Saturday. I'm going to be completely honest there. Uh, didn't think that, um, you know, he really um, showed what he's capable of. I thought that, um, you know, as Vandy mentioned, some of the uh, some of the personnel decisions were a bit questionable. Um, I thought maybe could have done a better job of uh, adjusting his tactics in the second half. Um, but just, you know, a couple half opportunities here. Mares with that late header that, um, you know, just went off. Uh, well, it wasn't really much of a threat and it was just. 
lackluster. And it was kind of disappointing, honestly, because, you know, this is a city team that has all the talent in the world and uh, just not able to get the job done. So I, uh, I watched this game. I watched the highlights. I didn't get to watch the game live. I watched the highlights. I saw a couple things. I think, you know, City won't get recognized on the stat sheet, but they had a lot of chances inside of the box, a lot of shots that were blocked. So that's not going to count as like a shot on goal or even might not even count as an opportunity, depending on how they keep track of the stats. But they did have some chances, but the the Chelsea defenders were really good at last ditch defending when they're inside their box, when they're even around the, the six blocking shots, blocking passes, really getting it done in there. Uh, so I wanted to just point that out. Um, I also yeah. thought, oh, sorry, what's up, Manny? Not to mean, not to mean to cut you off, Jacob. That's a point that I failed to mention too. Rudiger saved what should have been, a, I thought, a goal in the first half. Yeah. When um, Foden shot, he he Foden should have switched to the other foot, but it was just split second decision, so you really can't think like that. But Rudiger saved the goal. That was going to be a goal without that slide tackle. That is a goal, and that's one thing Chelsea was doing. That last man up was making those costly saves that. Um, Mendy need to help with with his back four. Exactly. And I think Chilwell had like a sliding stop mm-hmm. on like a nice through ball to the back post. That's a similar thing where, you know, they said he had these chances, but they won't show up on the on the stat sheet because just the last last ditch defending. And and speaking of, I saw the the goal. I thought it, and then maybe it was me. I don't know if they reviewed it in in the game with VAR, but it looked like the goalie touched that with his hand outside of the 18. So I don't know if that should have been like, I mean, I think it obviously would have been a red card for the goalie and a free kick, but I I don't know what happened if they reviewed it. I also don't know maybe like if his feet were inside the 18, then it's okay or however it works. I don't know. Did, Vandy and Chris, if you guys were paying attention, do they review that for VAR? Say again? Uh, like the goalie on the on the one goal, uh, Man City's goalie looked to have like touched the ball with his hand when he was sliding out, and he was outside the 18, I thought. No, they never like review it. They, they never review it. it. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what the rules are, so like specifically in that situation, but. Yeah, I was going to say my thinking is that either they didn't feel that he was outside of the box or if they did, they played advantage because, you know, they figure it ended in a goal anyway. What's the point exactly. of going back? And, you know, yeah, I like that, that soccer, you're able to do that, whereas refs and other sports kind of just, I mean, you know, the only exception is maybe football if you have a free play when there's a flag thrown. But, um, yeah, you know, in other it sports, you really don't do that. Play or, one way or another in other sports. But, yes, that they definitely have that that opportunity. Um, yeah. Some of my other takeaways, I thought, I, I definitely feel you, Chris, with, with a disappointing attack. Uh, I know De Bruyne got hurt, but I think that was in, like, the 60th minute. I feel like he yeah, kind of failed in the game. To, to really make anything happen uh, earlier in the game. Uh, it was interesting. They were playing him as, as a number nine, as a striker, I believe. Um, so I don't know if they've been doing that all season or, or how that was going, but I, I thought – he didn't usually start in that position, um, so maybe that was a uh, a change that might have been uh, – it might have actually backfired for them. But 
I think my big takeaway as, as someone who doesn't really have a stake in, in either of the teams, uh, one of the things I was thinking about is why is this just a one game thing? I was confused at the fact that, you know, for all of the other games, basically, in like this playoff, um, it's been a home and away. It's been two fixtures. Why for the final, it's just one game? Like, I understand if all of them are one game. I understand if all of them are two games. But I just thought it was weird that some most of them are two games, but not the final. And, and last year with Bayern, all of them were one game because of uh, – or once they came back from COVID, they get, it was a one-game uh, elimination, one game, like only one fixture. So I didn't, I didn't recognize that until this year. I I think that's that that's just a tradition thing. But for me, I think they need to go to towards like a World Cup or a Euros or a Copa America format where in group stages you do your group stage thing, and then once you get past that, it's just one game. Um, if you need extra time for that one game, if you need to go to penalties, go to penalties. But I'm not a fan of that two leg thing. I don't like that. I don't like the whole aggregate and away goals. I really don't like that, that in the game because it really changes how players play. And then when you have that one game, it's like a different sense of urgency, a different uh, style. And I really, I really do feel for the, the people who want to see their their team on, on their on their on their club grounds or in, in a in a big Champions League stage. But having a neutral site environment, especially in the Champions League, which is one of the most uh, lucrative lucrative uh, lucrative things for the game, I think it's best if it's at a neutral site or rotating. Um, every year, which is they already are doing, but um, it, it would be nice to see like the semis or the quarters and up be played in in, in uh, Porto. That would be that would be fine for this year for me at least. Yeah, you brought up away goals. I think they actually are are doing away with the away goals rule. Um, not quite sure when that's going to go into place, but just one note there. But Chris, Kr, any thoughts here? I'm just going to say real quick and then, um, you know, like KR say his thing uh, as someone who is a, well, I'm pretty sure is the biggest MLS fan uh, on the podcast. Um, MLS used to do like the champions league style format for their playoff tournament uh, where they would do home and away for most of it. Then uh, about, I want to say it was three years ago, they uh, went to a single elimination and it was the best thing they ever, ever done. The MLS cup playoffs are probably the most exciting tournament that most people don't watch um, because it's so unpredictable. It's okay. And you know, the teams, there's more parody in the, in MLS compared to Europe anyway. So that already throws a wrench into it. So like seeing like the sixth best team in the East, like go on a run um, that was already more likely than, you know, a lower ranked uh, knockout round team in the champions league, like Shakhtar Donetsk making it to the final four uh, or something like that. Um, but the single leg, it just, it makes it so much better. Cause and, you also get rid of, you know, the biggest problem with the two legs, in my opinion, is uh, if the first leg is a blowout, except for the one in once in 50 years uh, comeback like PSG Barcelona. Uh, for every one of those, you've got like a bunch of games that are basically over before they even begin. And that just cheapens the competition and just makes it worse. Um, so I think going to a single leg knockout would be better. Uh, I also think that, um, you know, that maybe this is a bit of a hot take. I also think that at least like the quarterfinals on or, from some point on, um, rather than doing it in the middle of the season when there's so many fixtures, so much congestion, um, maybe shorten or not shorten, but like 
um, move up the end of the domestic leagues and then have like the last eight teams and then the Champions League play like in, like two weeks or whatever the time frame is, like what they do with the World Cup, like what they do with the Euros, um, then, you know, you make it into like a big event and like um, the eyes of the soccer world are pretty much on that uh, for that period of time. And I think that would do a lot to grow the game. I think it'd be a much more entertaining product. Uh, they kind of, you know, by necessity have to uh, try all that in 2020 when uh, they resumed the competition in August because uh, of COVID. Um, you know, I think they should bring that back. I think it'd, it'd be a lot of fun as a fan to watch. And, um, you know, that's if I were made like the president of UEFA tomorrow, that would be the change I would make to the tournament. But I'm not qualified for that job. So. KR, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, um, you know, on certain aspects of the changes or what could be the possible future of the Champions League. Uh, I know, you know, we've been kind of mentioning on and off how UEFA and FIFA are always trying to, you know, change up the soccer tradition. So maybe this is a way forward and uh, we'll see if people like it. The only reason I think they're still sticking to that, um, you know, two-leg match is because, um, you know, it provides some of that playoff home field advantage kind of thing. Um, they don't really have that in soccer regardless because it is, you know, a table fixture for the entire season and then whoever has the most points. So this is the only time where they're allowed to kind of have a playoff atmosphere for their team. Um, but regardless, I think it should come down to, you know, one match because so many things can change from one match to another. And, you know, like we saw with Chelsea and Man City, like, you lose a key player like Kevin De Bruyne and, and, you know, the whole tide of the game is shifted now. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to kind of um, give a little bit on that game, but more so in the aftermath of what will happen from here on out. Um, I, a lot of people don't realize how young Chelsea is. Um, they have an average age of 25.8. So they still have, if they keep their entire squad and they just keep resigning every single person, they could probably win the Champions League or at least compete for it for the next two to three, maybe even four years. Um, and this goes back to saying that they did sign quality young talent in the offseason or in the previous offseason and were able to use them to an advantage. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel was able to go in there, use those players in the perfect way possible. Uh, and many people are calling him a tactical genius, but honestly, if people really sit down and look at it, like, what he did is so hard to achieve and enough people don't give him credit for it. And I think Chelsea kind of just flew under the radar. So with that being said, now that they have Kai Havertz in probably one of his prime, uh, you know, one of his prime moments of his career, or if Christian Pulisic, who was already in his prime now probably being, you know, one of the star players on the team. Um, you have Timo Werner who they signed this year as well, who's now going to be really good. And you have veterans like Aspilicueta still on there. You have N'Golo Kante, who's now become probably the main, you know, cornerstone of this team and, and the main guy in the center, who is probably, in my opinion, a front runner for winning Ballon d'Or. If France goes on to win um, the Euros, I think his name should be up there. Uh, and they're not going to do it without him. I know that. And so just knowing that Chelsea has all these pieces and now they have a young coach who's able to kind of bring out the best in each, each player, it should be interesting to see how, you know, I guess how this, this team's judged going forward. They shouldn't be, you know, just flown under the radar anymore. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, I like that you mentioned the average age, perfect example, spot on during 
the the match, we saw a older, you know, out of his prime, Thiago Silver leave the pitch and easily be re- replaced by Christensen, who was a, um, who was a was a routine starter in Hazard's last season with the team. Um, and I don't know if you saw celebrating with the team. You got a young Billy Gilmore who's on England's national team. He's young, and I said I've been saying this a couple times now since I've been on this podcast is that. I believe that Chelsea and and Dortmund have the best youth youth teams in the in the world. And Chelsea, even if the young players on their on currently on the senior team don't produce, they're gonna find somebody that U seventeen U eighteen Chelsea team that's that's gonna be a, a prodigy because this the future is very bright right now for a Chelsea fan and um, for for the <laughs> for any listeners who who who, are, who aren't sold on their favorite football club, now may be the time so people don't start calling you. Man, like we win like five champion leagues in a row. All right, all right, let's uh, <laughs> let's settle down a little bit, uh, Jacob. Just out of curiosity, um, uh, now now that Tuchel, Tuchel has done such a good job uh, over at Chelsea, are there any up and coming Bundesliga coaches I should be keeping my eye on for uh, whenever City does end up in the market again, whenever that may be? Uh, I don't know. I mean. Hansi Flick's still yet to make a commitment. There's talk of him going to Barca. There's talk of him going to other Spanish clubs. I still want him to sign with the DFB, but we'll have to see. Um, oh, I yes, thought that Chris, was I, – maybe I'm out of the loop. I thought that was a done deal. No, not, not oh. quite a done deal yet. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. I think I think he's kind of he's kind of playing the field a little bit, testing his options. But I hope I hope he goes to the DFB. But you brought up exactly the thing I was about to ask you about, Chris. And I was talking to another one of my buddies this week, who's a Man City fan. Obviously, he was pretty dejected. And I'm I'm talking like you guys had you guys had a great season, right? You won the Prem. You had a really phenomenal record. Done that. You got to the Champions League final, which. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the was it the first no nah, was it the first final that yes. Man City has been to? Yes. So that's that's still a pretty big step. You've still got a good team. Um, obviously, some changes are coming, but I, I mean, I, I feel like, and again, I'm not a Man City fan, but I feel like if I was, I, I don't know how disappointed I could be. It's still an amazing season. I don't think that like they should make any drastic changes. I don't think they should sack uh, Guardiola. I think that, you know, yeah, they fell a little short, but I, I don't see – I don't think it's uh, an issue where they can make these, a drastic change and, and, and kind of move forward. But, Chris, I want to get your thoughts. Should, should they make any big changes? Should they keep Guardiola? What, what should Man City do now? Well, I'm not saying you know, they should uh, kick Guardiola to the curb. I mean, they're still doing it better now under him than they have under anyone else. Like, I was kind of joking when I said that. But, um, you know, it, it's it's tough. I don't know. I, I think priority number one has to be, you know, replacing Aguero. Because um, even though he was on, um, you know over 30 and not quite – I mean, he's still very important, but not as important as he was uh, when he was a bit younger – uh, with uh, Man City, um, I think filling that role as for a primary goal scorer is going to be absolutely huge. Um, be interested to see what names uh, pop up on the transfer market that uh, uh, they'll be uh, chasing after. So I think that'll be huge. Um, I think maybe shoring up the midfield a little bit more in terms of depth would help. 
Um, but, you know, really the issue with City was not anything on paper. They're as talented of a team as anyone in the world. Um, you know, I, I thought they were the favorite to win that game and, you know, they didn't really play like it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'll put it to you this way. I'm not like feeling bad about where a team is headed. I will say this though, and maybe this is a hot take. I don't know. Um, we've won the premier league several times in the last few years. Um, you know, went on a run to the FA cup. Um, I would trade at this point, and this maybe maybe this is crazy, but it's just a case of what we've done already with what we haven't. I would trade this year's Premier League title for beating Chelsea in that final 10 times out of 10. I mean, I, I think that's reasonable. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's realistic or desperation at this point, Chris. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Listen, I- look at it. You got to look at it this way, Kyor. We have won, we win the Premier League on a semi-regular basis. And that's great. You yeah. know, I'm not taking that for granted. Um, that's that's a sign of how far City has come in their development as a club. But the Champions League is the top dog. It's like winning a conference tournament versus winning the NCAA tournament. Yep. And, you know. I think it, it also stings a little bit more that you're losing to a Premier League uh, team and not, you know, a, a team from another yeah. league in the world. Um, I would say a little bit, yeah. But I think it's – listen, it should be taken as an accomplishment that you guys do make it to this final stage every now and then or, you know, at least to the quarters or the semifinals of the Champions League as well. Um, but I think I'm on the same boat. Listen, Man United came very close to winning the Europa League, losing in penalty kicks I think is a little little worse. But um, that we, that could be another conversation for another time. Although I, know, I did want to bring up two points for Man City fans. Chris, I'm sure you could probably play their role for right now. Okay. One, how would you feel about Mr. Jose Mourinho, who declined the Real Madrid job to come over to Man City? No, no. That's like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Um, That's like going from Bill Belichick to Ben McAdoo. Like, no, I'm not. I mean, I know Mourinho's had a bit of a better track record. I'm, you know, exaggerating a little bit uh, for comedic effect, but. Um, I'm not a fan of Jose Mourinho. I think the game has kind of passed him by. I'm, I'm, I really find his style of football would be incredibly boring and bland to watch. So as a fan, if they were to get rid of Pep Guardiola, I'd rather they try to get someone who's like young, up and coming, creative, um, you know, not, you know, a retread. Um, and, you know, I think uh, Vandy would be the first to tell you that, um, you know, the, the right coaching hire can transform your team, even if it's in the middle of the season. So. Exactly. Chris, yeah. my question for you, two questions. So okay. for offseason, I know Kane is on the market. Would you want him, one? And two, I know we talked about this before the final. Is Guardiola still in the hot seat, or is, is that kind of overblown? You stole my question, Randy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because everybody's wondering the million-dollar question. It's like he, he literally ducked, did everything for the club he could do. They were talking about the, the – the quadruple Chelsea took you out of two of those. I know, I know, I know, but <laughs> is, 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 is it warranted to say that he's on a hot seat or is that just too much exaggeration? Let me oh. go one thing before I let you go here, Chris. Oh man. It's like uh, a press conference. I'm getting real yeah, here. I know, Chris, Chris, this is a, it's a big time for you. Uh, I just want to get, get to one of the questions Vandy asked, cause I had the same thing and I was Googling it before the show. It seems as though the ownership for Man City has taken Guardiola off the hot seat. 
based on like the latest news stories and things yeah. along that, it seems like they were like, oh, we're happy with Guardiola and he's happy here. So it seems like they're going to want to keep him. But of course, the fan reaction might be different. And Chris, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on on Harry Kane as well. Yeah, I mean, any serious talk, and again, you know, I, I joke around a little bit about it, but any serious talk of putting Guardiola on the hot seat uh, at this stage is just ridiculous. So, fortunately, the club isn't uh, as short-sighted to think that, um, and I think that that's probably the right move. Um, so, just get that in the open. I'm pro-Guardiola. So, um, with that, um, to get to your point about Kane, I mean – Look, he's a guy that has a proven track record of success in the Premier League and playing the English style football. And he's a guy who's gotten it done on the international stage, both you know to a certain extent with Tottenham and also with uh, England in the World Cup. Um, so I-, I wouldn't be mad if they got him. I, I would like to see because how old is Kane? He he has to be. He's past thirty, isn't he? I believe. Oh, is he is really? Thirty-seven. No, I didn't say 37. Oh, 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 I thought you said 27, Kaior. I said 27. Yeah. Oh, no, okay, no, yeah, I think yeah, he's yeah, older yeah. than that. I was like, he is 27. Is he really? He yeah. looks 30, though. He just looks older. And for some reason, I thought he was over 30. Okay, then I take that part back. He's not too old. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't hate it. It wouldn't be my first. Like, if you gave me the choice of any striker, he wouldn't be my first choice, but I, I wouldn't be mad at that at all. I, I have a, a platter of strikers that you can pick from, okay? Okay. Oh, a trio. And then I want you to pick one of the three. Okay. It's either going to be Harry Kane, Danny Ings, or Erling Holland. Which one would you take? Oh, Holland. But keep in oh, mind, with Holland, quick. you I was going to say, you, you will have to get rid of key pieces to get Holland. What would I have to get rid of? That's up to you to decide. Because you, yeah. you can't get Holland without a price, right? Probably a Sterling. Probably a Sterling. Because they're going to keep voting. So probably a Sterling. All right. I mean, I'd make that trade any day of the week because here's the thing with Holland. Holland is, you know, one of the premier young players. And that's twofold. One, you replace uh, Sergio Aguero, uh, someone who can fill that role uh, well. Um, and, and in this case, that's um, that that would be Erling Holland. But also because he's so young, uh, if you play your cards right, you could have this guy on your roster heading your attack for the next decade plus. Um, and I value that more than I would value, say, signing Kane at like 27. And then four or five years down the road, he decides he wants to move on. Um, so I, I value consistency. I think that, you know, a big part of City's success is the fact that they've had Aguero up top for so long. Um, and I think that um, trying to get someone as young as possible and as promising as possible uh, would be the smart move. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that City's revival and, you know, their their performances in uh, European play have come when they made their roster a lot younger. Uh, so I think that Holland would probably be the best fit for that. Uh, whether it happens, you know, that's another matter entirely. Um, and, of course, if Messi uh, decides to end up going on the free market, then, you know, all bets are off. But um, I, would, I would break my rule for that and that only, um, you know, if I want to Denver Broncos, the whole situation. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that, yeah, if you gave me the opportunity to sign Holland, even if I had to give up someone like Sterling, I would do that 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Chris, I, I, I'd give you this much. I'll give you a little bit of hope and positivity. Please. If there was ever a time to be looking for an attack player, this would be the offseason. And as we get into some of the transfer wire and changes going on, I do want to point out that Aguero is leaving City for Barca. 
Um, but in terms of strikers and attackmen, basically like all of the top talent is, is rumored to be wanting to go. We mentioned Harry Kane already. We mentioned Holland. Neymar had wanted to leave, but now he's re-signed with PSG. So now they're talking about Mbappe leaving. Messi's rumored to want to leave Barca. Ronaldo's rumored to want to leave Juve. Even Lewandowski, they were talking about rumors of Bayern letting him go. So I I can't think of like a top-notch striker out here who who hasn't had rumors of of leaving uh, their club. So if there was ever a time to be looking for a striker or attacking player, this, this is a pretty good time, I'd say. I would commit a federal crime to get Kylian Mbappe in Manchester City. I'll just come out and say it. Like, Wait, aren't you guys, like, sanctioned for two years or something like that? I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Did you already commit a crime? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Uh, our our, our uh, board of directors did, but um, <laughs> no. But seriously, the idea that all of these uh, you know top players could be on the move to different places, um, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of actually this would probably be um, a better example, but it's kind of more reminiscent of how in the NFL all of a sudden all of these uh, quarterbacks decided they want to go on the move. I mean, you look at um, um, you know, what's going on even with Aaron Rodgers right now. Um, there are rumors over whether or not he's going to stay in Green Bay or, you know, on the show this morning, they were talking about going out to Denver um, or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, players are asserting more control over their, where they want to go. And I think that that's a good thing for them, obviously, but it's also a good thing for fans because when you see players playing where they want to play, you usually get a better product out of that. Um, and I think that that's something that's good for the game, not just for soccer, but just for sports in general. Um, so, you know, I thought that was an interesting parallel that we're seeing here. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I want to change the spotlight over a little bit, uh, to Real Madrid. So they sacked, uh, Zidane. They've hired a new coach in Ancelotti, who I believe was there in the past, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and from what I'm reading, and I'm sorry about this, Chris, they, they appear to be targeting Mbappe pretty pretty strongly as well. Of course, who who with the money wouldn't be, basically. But uh, at Real, a couple changes in the marks or in the in the cards. One thing that I thought was funny is that uh, I believe a couple years ago, James Rodriguez left Real. To play under Ancelotti uh, at, uh, I think he's at Everton. And now <laughs> Ancelotti's going back to, to Real. I don't know if James will, will try to make that move as well, but that's just one thing that I, I saw on social media I found funny. Well, I mean, James is uh, having some problems uh, lately in terms of his fitness, um, you know, getting in, selected for international play. So, you know, I, I loved watching him play. Um, you know, hopefully he gets that sorted out. But I thought that was a bit of an interesting point you made there. Um, and, you know, I think Real Madrid is definitely going to be in the market for a top striker as well. Um, you know, they're a team that, you know, uh, at least from the few times I've been able to see them, they seem to still have struggled to fully fill the void left by Cristiano Ronaldo going to Juventus. And I think that if they can fill that and, you know, being under new management after Zidane left, uh, I think that that's something that will benefit them in the long run. 
KR Vandy, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, Ancelotti's, you know, he's been at Real. He's been with uh, a stellar squad before, too. I was actually just trying to find his old squad. Um, but it was with the likes of Ronaldo and when we had um, all his other pieces that were together. I keep, I'm, I'm forgetting all the names, but I'm sure Sergio Ramos was still there. So it's interesting to see today that one of the first uh, moves that he's going to make is maybe try to get rid of Ramos. Uh, and he's also trying to target um, Lozano, who's one of my favorite players in North America when he does play, um, you know, for Mexico and international play. So it should be interesting to see who, if he tries to make the team younger, because we know, you know, in the past, we've had players like Isco stick around. We had players like um, uh, Sergio Ramos, again, stick around. We had uh, Rafael Varane, who's kind of getting to an older age now as well. Uh, so we'll, we'll see the, the, I guess, the twist that Ancelotti can put on Real to either bring him to the forefront or, you know, keep them to where they are still. Because I know he did a great job with Everton. Um, he made them into a competitive team. So I'm sure he's trying to bring, bring that same energy back to Real Madrid. Yeah, Ancelotti literally coached almost every top team. He was at PSG, at Bayern, at Chelsea in 09. Um, that that Real, Madrid, Real Madrid team that he coached with Ronaldo was absolutely disgusting, by the way. Di Maria was in his prime. You had Carvajal in the back, and it was disgusting. Um, that was like that was like the height of Real Madrid, you know, and Ronaldo was banging in 50 goals a year. So that was a really good team. Um, he also helped us out back when we had Ashley Cole and uh, solid midfield and all them boys. So, yeah, he. Uh, I, I I don't doubt his ability to bring Real back to where they can be. I think them and Barcelona kind of have a similar problem where they're too attached to their their club favorites and their club legends, and they have to find a way to have a smooth transition into the young stars and new transfers. So I think. Sergio Ramos being on the way out is not a necessarily bad move. He's probably one of the best defensive players of our generation, if not all time. Um, so it's hard to, 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 to see him, to see him get off the pitch as much as I hate him. You have to respect how good he is as a player. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you've got to make. If you want to move forward, you can't keep hanging on to him. He's obviously on the last legs of his career. I don't care how fit his body looks. It's he's not the same Ramos. And, and I, know, <laughs> I know social media doesn't want to admit it, but it's not the same Ramos. So, Ancelotti, I believe what he can do. I, I think he can turn that club around. Yeah, yeah. Guys like uh, Modric and Tony Cruz have been there for some time as well. So I'm sure there are some changes that need to be made to move forward. Of course, they have, you know, new signings and Hazard, and they're going to keep keep going after top talent. You know, a, a top team in in Spain in top league, and they're they're going to throw their name in the ring whenever guys like. Uh, Mbappe are are on the market. Um, another thing I wanted to mention uh, over at Juve, Pirlo out, Allegri in, uh, in terms of coaching there. And I did want to bring up, and I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. I know Chris was talking about it a little bit earlier on the show here about how players have more control over where they're landing. Um, I'm going to draw a parallel to the NBA and think about LeBron. When LeBron comes to a team, what does LeBron do? LeBron picks the coach. LeBron picks the supporting cast. He can't really change the ownership, but he could try. 
But LeBron basically controls the whole team. I'm I'm curious if you think that a guy like Ronaldo, and yeah, maybe he's starting to leave his prime, but you could argue the same for LeBron, to be fair. Maybe a guy like Ronaldo has that same amount of effect on the team where he could say, look, Juve, I'm thinking of leaving. Maybe you want to find a new coach. Maybe you want to try to sign some some good young players and, and try to do something along those lines. But uh, I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Do you think the soccer players have, have similar impact or, or maybe not as much? Well, the big thing in soccer is, um, you know, to lesser extent, this is true in baseball, there's no salary cap. So it's not a case of like, you know, the owner saying, all right, uh, we need you to like take a pay cut because we need to get more uh, players on here. I mean, theoretically, everyone has budget constraints, but like you're, you're going to tell me Manchester City can't afford to sign like two new uh, players at an expensive price. Like, come on, I'm not buying that any day of the week. Um, so that's first and foremost. And also, you know, I think it's just a case of um, players are more connected to each other now. Uh, than they were 15, 20 years ago, social media, um, all these international competitions, all that, you know, players talk to each other a lot more, they're more connected. Um, and I think that makes a big difference in terms of, you know, um, going to guys saying, hey, you guys want to team up and go to Paris or go to Madrid or go to Manchester or wherever the case may be. Um, you know, that's what happened in the NBA. And, you know, that's what I think we're starting to see in soccer. I don't think it'll quite dominate to the same extent because the NBA is a more star-driven sport. Like, for instance, if you put Lionel Messi on the Columbus crew and then put that team in the Champions League, they're still not going anywhere because they're the Columbus crew. Um, but like in, in uh, basketball, you could take LeBron James and put him on, you know, like those Cavalier teams his second go around towards the end, um, especially after Kyrie left. Um, you know, those teams were brutal. And the second he left, they fell off a cliff. Um, so, you know, in soccer, it's more of a team sport. Yes, you can sign Messi. Yes, Messi can team up with you know, Neymar, whoever the case may be, but you still got to build the rest of the team around them. And that requires you know, a competent organization and all that. It's not just a case of let's get a couple of stars to team up and come here. You've really got to have the foundation built. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, KR, Vandy, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I mean, just... Continuing off of what Chris said, it's a matter of, you know, in a sport like NBA, you're one of the five guys starting where on soccer, you're one of the 11, right? Uh, and yes, you've, you know, been a part of historical squads and you've been uh, renowned as one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, I think that type of impact just doesn't correlate anywhere else, right? Um, it's, I would say, more so the other way around. Like we saw in the case of Messi, where he was the one who said, I want to leave, but, um, you know, the organization itself wasn't willing to let him go. So you almost have like uh, almost a handcuff on whatever the player is. So, um, yeah, I don't think it works the, uh, so much so the other way around uh, or else we'd see a lot of uh, um, collusion, uh, what many would consider. So um, we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe like Ronaldo retires and becomes a coach himself, then, then maybe. But I doubt that happens anytime soon. All right. Well, going forward to our last topic here, I want to talk about Euro 2020, even though it's now 2021. And one note, Chris, I was totally wrong. You were right. The DFB have confirmed Flick. I, good. I, I wasn't up to date. That's a good hire. I've been out of, I've been out of the loop. 
So I'm very happy now to Good. learn that and you get to see my joyous face in, in real time here. Um, um, I, I was going to say, there's still time for them to fuck it up and hire Klinsman again. <laughs> I mean, they they tied Denmark today in an international friendly. So that was that was disappointing to say the least. Of course, not. Not the starting eleven. The starting eleven weren't, weren't all out there, but you would think with the with the talent that was still out there, they should be able to beat a Denmark team. And and after that loss to North Macedonia, you would think they'd come out playing with a little bit more intensity. But who knows where the the German national team is these days? We'll have to see. Um, and they've also got a, a pretty tough group for the Euros. So that's that's not necessarily motivational. Um, kind of as as um as Yergi lives, as his like clock ticks ticks out. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Germany's in the in the right mentality to really compete at their best level and i think that's that's probably going to be required to make it out of their group it's the major tournament uh hangover it happens to so many international teams i mean look at um you know look at what spain did in 2014 after winning the world cup uh same thing for germany in 2018 maybe that carries over to 2020 maybe not um or you know even italy and france in 2010 after they were the finalists in 06 um for whatever reason you know I was going to say players age out because that's usually it, but I don't even think that's necessarily a problem with Germany. I think this generation is just as talented as the last one. It's just for whatever reason, they don't seem to click together. I don't know if that's something that yeah. Yogi Love uh, is doing that you know used to work and doesn't work now. I don't know if it's just a question of play styles. It's I don't know, but um, all I know is this Germany team is talented enough to do a lot better than they're doing. Yeah. Aging out is kind of a funny way to put it because – I, I not not quite. I agree with you, Chris. I don't think that's quite the thing because they actually well they got rid of some of their older talent recently after winning, uh, and then and then the the following failure um, got rid of guys like Muller and Hummels, and then and Boateng, I guess as, as well, and then called some of them back this year. So. I don't think it's really that they've aged out. I think they were trying to make a change and it didn't quite work. So they were like, okay, let's, let's call some of these guys back. Um, I think, you know, to a certain extent from that team that, that won it, won it, there are, have been some changes just in terms of quality. I know guys like Marco Royce, uh, he's dealing with some injury issues now. So that's why he's not up. Uh, at least one of the reasons why he's not up with the national team. Uh, Ozil kind of fell off of the face of the soccer earth uh, <laughs> over at at uh, Arsenal, I believe. I don't know what, what the heck they're doing there. Arsenal but, tends to do that to people. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Uh, Wait, I don't so even think I don't even think Ozil's playing for the national team, is he? No, he's not. That's what I was saying. Like, there, yeah. there have been some some changes and some talent changes, but you know, with guys like Gundogan and younger guys like Havertz coming onto the team and improving since that time, I, I don't know if there's any excuse. I, I think that it's kind of just like this kind of rut 
under uh under Lou and maybe maybe the coaching change is what's needed to kind of just flick the switch and and play uh to, to what I think the the team should be playing to but that's that's enough for me on on my soapbox anybody else excited for uh euros anybody else um I guess following or, or caring about what a particular team does um, yeah, I'm just excited to see some some you know young performers step on a big stage. Um, Dominic Sabazla from Hungary, excited to see what he can do. Twenty year old sort of nice goal. I'm excited to see the rebuild of the Dutch, the, fly, the Dutchman. Um, but I do think Portugal is going to repeat. I, I don't know if that's a hot take. I don't know if some people have have them as their winner, but I like their I like their young core. Um, you got guys like Bruno, Jota, Ruben, Cancelo, Felix. Uh, and how can I forget CR7? So I really like their chances, and I think they have a better team than they did when they won it last. So it's going to be interesting to see who pulls it out. I'm not going to – I'm not – my hopes aren't high on England. I know they made a run last time, but I just feel like they always fold when when the, when the uh, when it when it counts the most. But I like Portugal's chances, and, and we'll, we'll see if they can pull it out. But I'm just excited to see – uh, this new wave of young players, and I'm, I'm excited to see what player is gonna um, get some get a big payday from this. We saw Renato Sanchez show up for Portugal, and he got his money. Obviously, he didn't exactly you know live up to the hype, but I'm just excited to see who can who can perform. Well, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. I remember Renato Sanchez was be like the heir apparent to Ronaldo. I know they don't exactly, exactly play the same position, but yeah. You know, it was the face of Portugal, and then he just kind of fell off the face of the earth, kind of pulled an Oscar uh, there and just, yeah. you know, just disappeared. But yeah, um, I'm, a big, I'm just a big proponent of letting the youth develop. Yes. I feel like we just, we're, we rush greatness too much. And I've said this before. It's just, even with like somebody like Phil Foden, people forget he's in his early 20s. Like he's nasty, but you got to give him time to develop it to a pride, into a, into into that million that multi-million multi-hundred million dollar player. It's not a Man City shot. It's just somebody no, I know. <laughs> that's a good young player. And and I'm 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 as big of a Phil Foden fan as you'll find. So um you know it, to answer your question, um I, I think that France is on the brink of doing something really impressive with this generation. Um you know Mbappe obviously is as good as anyone in the world, but um, you know, they've got a strong supporting cast. Uh, their youth team is stacked, too, um, which I think a lot of people tend to forget about. Um, so this is a, a national team that's built for the future. I think if I placed a bet today, they would be my uh, favorite to win uh, the Euros. And I think I haven't taken a look, but I think the sports books will probably agree with me on that. Um, and, you know, I think that they're just going back to their World Cup run in 2018. They, they're just so much fun to watch. Um, and I think they'll they'll probably be my adopted team since uh, the Greek national team is full of people who manage to get boat raced by the Faroe Islands. But that'll be another rant for another time. But, um, you know, we'll always have 2004. And, you know, I think France is probably the odds on favorite to win the Euros this year. Yes, we will, Chris. KR, <laughs> any thoughts? Yeah, um, same same thing. Uh, I think France is probably the uh, front runner. Um, they have a lot of players in their prime, uh, a lot of young players who are you know exciting to just watch on the pitch. So 
Um, it'll be fun to watch France, but I'm, I'm thinking of some sleepers. You know, Spain's not really discussed as much nowadays. Um, they've lost their, you know, that traditional um, favoritism that they often received in the, in the World Cup and in the Euros. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they face with that type of criticism. Uh, Belgium, I think, always flies under the radar because of how competitive the other European nations are. Um, so, and I always, you know, on the low key root for Belgium and England. So we'll see how both of those teams do. They have, you know, some of the some of my favorite players, at least the ones that I enjoy watching play. Um, but you know, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to beat France, and that team is. Um, you know, they there's, they have the respect that they deserve and it'll just be, you know, a matter of if they're able to kind of, um, again, like Chris said, write the history books or not. So we'll just have to wait and see. But again, every team, I think, is stacked. Every nation is stacked. This is probably going to be one of the most competitive Euros we've seen in a while. So it should be fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely excited. I do like this just if you think about international play in general, I like the concept of international play in soccer. I think it's a lot of fun to see stars and players you like play on an almost an entirely different team than their club teams. I think it's really entertaining. Obviously there's some like, uh, you know, national pride in it. So there's maybe a little bit more on the line than just money. Uh, so that I always find to be entertaining as well, but Definitely excited. Definitely looking forward to uh, Euro 2020. Um, any closing thoughts as we kind of wrap up this session here, guys? No. Vandy, you want to get a few more claps in or something? You don't understand, like, my whole – I was so loud on the day we won it, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill you guys' ears. I will say that expect us to be back. Just expect us to be back. Okay. Well, with that, I'm gonna close with a headline I just saw on Instagram saying uh, their chairman saying that they're ready to spend big this summer. Um, so clearly, this means we're getting Mbappe and Messi. Uh, so you know, just everyone just be on the lookout. And for Holland that. too. Just just he, he can come on. And, and Ronaldo. And Ronaldo too. <laughs> no, no, I don't want Ronaldo. Um, yeah, kidding. I'm partially kidding, of course, but um, this offseason is going to be very interesting for Manchester City. So, yep, it'll be interesting. A lot of stars out there, a lot of guys looking to move. We'll, of course, keep you updated through our podcasts. And yeah, this has been Pole FC. Good night, folks, and we'll see you next week.